guys a story as you turn in your Bibles to Mark chapter 6. So you can turn there physically or you can download the V1 Church app and we're going to be in Mark chapter 6. But Joe is the manager on duty. We're here in a movie theater for those of you watching this or listening to the podcast. And we love our movie theater and we make the best of it. Uh, and it does have leather recliners that go all the way back. Uh, right? <laughs> for us getting slain in the spirit, sounds like this. <laughs> No one even has to touch us or pray for us. We just go all the way back. Um, but Joe is a manager on duty, and, and he was here a year and two months ago when this church actually officially launched. And this morning, I found him to say, hey, you better turn that air conditioning way up because it was hot in that auditorium last week as we were all crammed in, especially towards our second service. And he looks at me, and he was like, bro, because he doesn't know to call me pastor, right? I'm bro to him. He's like, bro, what is happening with your church? I'm like, what do you mean, Joe? And he was like, I was here when you guys first launched, and I remember seeing about 30 or 40 people come into that, this movie theater, and you guys had the one auditorium. And he was like, now I got scheduled to come in on this Sunday morning. And he was like, and they gave me word that you have three auditoriums full of people and the mezzanine. And he was like, what is happening? I'm like shaking. I'm like, Joe, it's called revival. He's like, what's revival? <laughs> but you know, when I, I told him and I got a little choked up, I said, you know what, Joe? I said, we don't have a marketing plan. It's just tangible life change. People are coming into this movie theater. I was like, we're not good at being religious. We're not good at following all the rules. But you know what? We're relentlessly after God, and he's changing our lives so radically that we're spreading the word, and we're continuing to fill these auditoriums and even growing through the summer. Isn't that amazing? So I just wanted to share with you that because, you, you know, I, I guess and we're going to be talking about Mark chapter 6. Oftentimes, familiarity kills more destinies than adversity. Familiarity actually will kill more destinies than adversity. What does that mean? Oftentimes in life, the closer you get to someone, the less you respect them. The closer you get to something, the less you respect it. The more familiar it becomes. I, somebody was telling me this story the other day, and, and they were at the gym, and their wife was actually, uh, this guy was sharing about how his wife was pregnant. And the person's response to that was actually something to the effect of, um, yeah, it's just a countdown until your wife becomes another piece of furniture in the house. You want me to tell you his first and last name so you guys can find <laughs> All the New Yorkers are like, no, he didn't. Forget the gospel of grace. I'm about to find somebody. But, you know, it's funny because how true does that become in our lives? It's like, you know, some of us can walk blindfolded through our living room because the familiarity of the things in our house has caused it to become um, just, just so internalized and so mapped out that, that we forget the value of the items that they even contain. And it can even happen with people around you. And I want to take a look at Mark chapter 6. It says this, Jesus left there and went to his hometown. He was in his hometown. 
Uh, my hometown is Hammond, Indiana, right down the street from Gary, Indiana, the former murder, murder capital of the U.S. and the birthplace of Michael Jackson. <laughs> And uh, I don't know what your hometown is. We got any uh, born, born in Long Island or on Long Islanders here? Anyone born in New York City? Anyone born in the rest of the U.S.? Oh, snaps. <laughs> now, Jesus returned to his hometown, Nazareth. And you would think, now, now let me just tell you this to set up the context for this. He left his hometown a carpenter. He came back the Messiah. Now, theologically, he was always destined to be the savior of the world, but they didn't know him like that. See, he was being faithful in Bethlehem. He was being faithful in Nazareth. He was doing what was in front of him. And actually, take it a step further, carpenter to us summons up this idea of uh, woodworking, but actually it was a much broader term in, in, in uh, Jewish culture at that time. And he probably also worked with stone and was just more or less considered a builder. And uh, in a general sense, and isn't it incredible that our Savior's only vocation was uh, building things in the natural? Because how many of you know he's still building things in the spirit realm? He's still building the, the master carpenter, building our lives from the ruins of the scraps that look like they're worthless to everyone else. Don't make me start preaching yet, okay? So all of a sudden he leaves a carpenter, he comes back to Messiah. And not only that, but he's got his first small group of followers called the disciples. And it says when, when Jesus left there, he went to his hometown accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, which Sabbath is, was the day that they observed unto God, the day that they set apart uh, for the observation of coming to the weekly services of the temple. Thank God for a Sabbath. He says he began to teach in the synagogue and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's the wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles that he's performing? So now we know that Jesus is not only blowing people's minds with the wisdom that he's got from God because he is God, but he's also performing some miracles there. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son of the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. Somebody say, winning. <laughs> and they took offense at him. The, the title of today's message is Goodbye Guilt. Goodbye Guilt. You know, he shows back up and you think it would be this triumphant, man, Jesus is back. But I want to kind of decode the things that are being said. These guys were the internet trolls of their day. These guys were the guys that would have, you would have probably finally got your first viral video and they drop a comment, this is all hype. There's no substance. These are the people that they don't want you to win. They don't want you to level up. And can I just tell you a secret to life? There are going to be more people jealous of your deliverance than those who celebrate it. There's going to be more people who don't want you to have a good marriage than those who do. You know why? Because they would love for your marriage to, to fail. Because when they smell blood in the water, they've got a new candidate for their own lustful fulfillment. Can we just get, can we go to the church of the real today? Not everyone wanted 
Jesus to succeed. There were people, even Jews, his own people, who were being ruled by this Roman occupation. I mean, you would have thought they'd all say, hey, we're on the same team here, right, because we've got this political enemy, but it wasn't even enough to keep them on the same page. And Jesus now is entering back into Nazareth. And let me just, can I, can I just unpack this scripture? Do we have any theologians in the house? Any theologians watching live? Let me unpack this. Let's go back to uh, verse 3. When did this man get these things? Then you skip down verse 3. It says, isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son? Now, many of you who don't know Jewish culture would just look at that and say, well, that was some way of indicating who he was. But see, it's much deeper than that. See, because when they said this is Mary's son, their normal convention for communicating would have actually been this is Joseph's son. And the, and the fact that they are calling him Mary's son was actually a diss to Jesus. And there's two things that theologians uh, tend to agree on. One is that this may be an indicator that Joseph died while Jesus was yet still young, leaving Jesus in charge of actually helping his family financially until the other siblings were able to actually help as well. And then he was able to leave and go do his ministry. Doesn't that change their perspective a little bit about Jesus? It's kind of interesting, right, to think that revival could actually be spelled W-O-R-K. It's kind of interesting to think that maybe taking care of business at home is what actually is the precursor to taking care of God's business in his home for those of you who want to be in ministry. And Jesus seems to indicate that he was doing the right thing by staying home and helping his mom. But, but the other thing that it indicates is that because they said, who is this? This is Jesus, Mary's mother, you know, right? The Mary's mother, uh, son, son of Mary, seems to also indicate that there was some gossip about Mary having a baby many years ago out of wedlock. And it may seem to indicate here that, there, that that gossip had still been at the forefront of their mind, that maybe this family wasn't well respected. Do I got any families here who know what it's like to be on the other side of the tracks? You know, we say no perfect people allowed here at this church, and it seems to me that it made way for people who maybe weren't like everyone else. And, you know, it's like, hey, this is, uh, that's Mary's kid, isn't it? You know, it would have meant something a little extra. You know what I mean? Oh, hey, you see that person? Yeah, that's so-and-so's kid. You know so-and-so, right? Yeah, the one who tried to tell everyone that they had a virgin birth. You know how scandalous that is? Let me ask you this. Would you believe somebody, would you believe your best friend if they told you they got pregnant without sex? And so you see this picture where Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior of the world, has this opportunity for guilt to infiltrate his life because everyone's skeptical of him, everyone in his own hometown. You know, it's funny because there's this phenomenon in sports where you have a winning advantage when you have a home court advantage. And that's why you always want to get home. It's just like, you know, who knows what's going to happen when you preach at another church, but man, this is V1 church. We're about to get amped up, right? It's like a keg stand without a keg here, okay? But then you go somewhere else, and there's something about that home court advantage in life, and, and yet what we see is that it actually is different, and it's a window into wisdom, to know that sometimes you're going to get the least amount of support at home because familiarity kills more destinies than adversity. Let me tell you what that looks like. So let, let me, let me just keep reading. It says this. It says, you know, verse 4, Jesus said to them, a prophet is not 
without honor, except, everyone say except, in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not, say could not, now when you think about this, he could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few, say a few, you get in the picture, a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. So you have this scenario. So some of you are like, man, Pastor Mike's great. Pastor Julie's great. The worship team, I mean, Raina throwing down, they're great. But man, if Jesus was here, I bet you we'd see a ton more miracles. We would only see as many miracles as you have a measure of faith to believe for. So if you think I'm holding them back in this church, you got a pastor that we will just rip the lid of expectation right off and we'll do Miracle Sunday every Sunday. But God's meeting you at your level of expectation. But what happens is we get so familiar. We get so familiar. And, and we just get in atmospheres like this. And that's why even during that transition, I'm like, we cannot miss it. Minister to the Lord now. Oh, I've got my earpiece on. I'm serving the Lord. I'm doing this. Oh, I'm at pro presenter. I'm doing this. No, Jesus is right here manifesting his presence in the room. Can we believe that he can do the impossible? And you know, it's funny because we do the same thing with our loved ones. There's times where as a man and husbands, listen to me, if you want a wife, listen to me. You gotta, you gotta start being a husband before you ever get a wife, amen? You can be a husband before you ever have a relationship because being a husband's about having a relationship with yourself. When you, you can speak to yourself, you can coach yourself through life. And as a husband, there are times where I've had to look at my wife and I've had to say, man, I'm starting to get too familiar with her. I'm starting to set a lid of expectations on her. I'm starting to act like I know what she can and can't do. And there's something that grieves my heart about that because I've always been the kind of person that I don't want anyone to do that to me. I don't want to be the Nicolas Cage of ministry where you play the same role in every single movie. And I think about how many times I've been typecasted. You know what I'm saying? The Keanu Reeves of, of movies. You're always this guy in every movie who's serious, right? Except for Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, but you forgot about that. But what happens is that we can become these typecast characters when we're like, oh, I know Mike's going to go up there and scream for a little while. We might cry and then we'll go home. <laughs> no. Can you believe for more than that? You know, you look at, at your wife. Oh, I, I know this is my wife and this is what she does. and this is what. No. Will you pull the greatness out of her? Will we stop co condemning people before they even got a chance to fulfill their destiny? Can we believe the best even when we see the worst? That's the kind of church where healthy things grow. That's the kind of home environment where healthy things grow, where we keep expecting for more, we keep believing more. And, we, and, we're, and this whole series this month is about winning. But, but you've gotta say goodbye to guilt and here's why. I think it was easy for us to get real indignant when we said, oh man, I can't believe that guy in the gym would say, it's only a countdown until my wife or your wife turns into a piece of furniture after that baby's born because of the familiarity. But how many of you know that you actually do that to yourself every single day? You have become the proverbial furniture in the living room of your life. Is anyone listening to me today? 
See, it's real easy to look at these people and be like, but I love Jesus so much. I, I would do anything to be there in Nazareth and see a 30-year-old Jesus beginning his ministry with the disciples. And I would have been the one who went down to his feet and, and poured the alabaster box of perfume. And I would have been the person that recognized him as Messiah, but you can't even recognize yourself as great either. How are you ever gonna recognize the greatness of Jesus if you can't recognize the greatness that he destined you for? Oh, I'm sorry, I'm preaching good, and I know I am, even if nobody shouts me down today. Amen. Somebody say, goodbye guilt. goodbye, guilt. I hate guilt. And the reason why I hate guilt is because it is a seemingly useless emotion. It's, it's just enough to make you feel bad, not enough to make you change. Man, I feel so guilty about what I ate. You know you're going to go through that drive-thru line tomorrow too, right? I feel so bad that I, that I talked inappropriately to that woman. Yeah, but you're going to chase that feeling the next time you see her at work. You know that, right? I don't know who that was for, but you throw a rock in a pack of dogs if it hits one of them. Somebody say, goodbye guilt. See, Jesus knew who he was, and he, know, he knew whose he was. And so even in the midst of an environment that should have been supportive, he refused to bow to the guilt of their expectations. He refused to bow to the guilt of their reality. See, because if, if he would have had a guilty complex, he would have said, man, here I went on this journey, accumulated all these disciples, and I'm gonna come back now to Nazareth, and they didn't receive me. They said, who is this guy? Isn't he a carpenter? Maybe I should just go back to carpentry. You know, and, and I think the example that we get from Jesus in this place is what it looks like to live guilt-free. Because he wasn't living according to the expectations of others, and he wasn't even bowing to the expectations of his own carnal desire. If you're here and you're listening to me, if you're listening online, I want you to know that you have a window into how Jesus acted in the midst of an experience that would have broke most of us. It's like, you know, I've been to other churches where I was the worship leader. Thank God I had pastors that didn't treat me like an eternal worship leader because now I'm a lead pastor. Sometimes you've got to take them the lid of expectations off of yourself before anyone else is empowered to do it. And, you know, the thing that I see in this, in this picture that you have of Mark chapter 6 is Jesus said this, to, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town. But see, on the inside of our own life, this is the town that I'm talking about today. And the voices that you hear are the voices of condemnation who are telling you, who do you think you are trying to build a business that big? And then the other town member says, yeah, because weren't you that kid that was abused and neglected and talked about like that? Then the other, then the other voice, and this is all the town square of your head. I mean, you go to this transformational experience. You go to the conference. You go to V1 Church. And then all of a sudden, you're driving on the way home. Yes, I can do great things for God. Yes, I am destined for greatness. And then all of a sudden, the townspeople begin to speak inside of your own mind. And you've got to know in those moments that the voice that you think you're hearing is oftentimes not guilt. It's actually guilt wearing a mask and it's called condemnation. 
And there are so many people, and I hate this Christianity. I even want everyone on the band to hear me right now. Do not tune out. We have produced such a condemnation culture within Christianity based on bad theology that you've got people who know this book, people who are more qualified because of past experiences to do greater things than Julie and I have ever done in the last year that you know us, but your own guilty complex and condemnation has disabled you day after day from doing what God's destined you to do. And I am sick and tired of it. And I am here to say goodbye guilt. Goodbye guilt at this church. Goodbye guilt in your own conscience. See, here's the thing. I'm gonna, this month is a month of spiritual warfare. Do I have any warriors in the house? I'm going to teach you spiritual warfare. Now, there's a lot of people that don't want to believe in the devil because it's really convenient to believe that we don't have an adversary. But when you read this book, and I challenge you to read the entire New Testament Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, a significant portion of Jesus' ministry was casting demons out of people. Matter of fact, one of them was a child. Two of them was a small child, a girl and a boy. So if a significant portion of Jesus' ministry ministry was casting out demons. How are you going to tell me that the devil isn't real, but you believe in Jesus? And see, the Bible refers to him as the accuser of the brethren. And what his main prerogative is, is to get inside your head so you kill your own destiny. Because then he's at work even when he's not working, because he's working over your mind. And I'm here to serve notice. And just as in Mark chapter six, you have Jesus who was so full of the spirit of God inside of his mortal flesh that in the midst of the accusations, he just said, hey, I did what God called me to do. I showed up here. And then he commissions and releases. And we don't have time for this, but we got any double dippers here? But it says this, Jesus sends out the 12 and it says, they went out and preached that people should repent. They drove out many, say many, many demons and anointed many sick sick people, say many, with oil and healed them. So wait a second, Jesus in Nazareth only healed a few, but then the disciples who didn't have formal theological training, well, healed many. What does that mean? Where there is a demand, there is always a supply. And Jesus is the one who makes you righteous. Jesus is the one who does the sending, you do the work. And see, the problem with this condemnation culture in too many Christian circles is that we want to do the sending and then we want to do the work. No, you don't get to choose. Jesus has called you and sent you. So you go because he said to go. It's his job to clean you up. It's his righteousness that covers you. It's his blood that makes you pure and holy and acceptable that you can go boldly before the throne of grace. And you know, The thing about David that I love so much about his life is that in the midst of constant imperfections, the only thing that he got right in contrast to an evil ruler like Saul was that he was quick to repent and he got back and did what he wanted, what God called him to do. Look at Jonah. Jonah makes a huge mistake. He gets out of the belly of the whale and God's first thing isn't, well, you're gonna have to sit out and take a five-year leave of absence from ministry, Jonah. Jonah, you screwed up. I put you in the bell of the well to teach you a lesson and I need to sit you down for ministry for a duration of time. That's not even what happens. He instantly comes out of the well and Jesus says, now, God says, now Jonah, go to Nineveh and do what I told you to do. 
And what happens is we go through these trials of life. We go through our own personal sin. And this voice of condemnation has got us believing that we have to sit down when the spirit of God is demanding in this hour that we get up and go. And people are like, why are you going to launch a second location? Because I've got too many leaders who've been sitting on the shelf condemning themselves, losing time. And I'm about to activate them and release them. And they're going to preach sermons better than any sermon I could ever preach. And they're going to hit a perfect pitch note better than I could ever sing because I am saying goodbye, goodbye, guilt. But when the accuser comes and says, you know what? You're not qualified because what you did, Aaron. You're not qualified because what you looked at. You're not qualified because what you said in your own mind and pushes you back. You want me to teach you how to fight warriors? Does someone want to know how to fight here? Is somebody watching online wanting to learn how to fight right now? Because see, you're not on neutral territory. You are not on neutral territory. You are born into a warfare. When Jesus was confronted with the accuser, Satan himself, the one that a lot of Christians don't want you to believe in anymore. Read it in the Bible. This is how he pushed back. He pushed back with the word. And this is how you're gonna push back because God's getting ready to mobilize an exceedingly great army. It might look like a valley of dry bones right now, but I'm prophesying that the greatest army that's ever come out of the kingdom of heaven on earth is coming out of Long Island in New York City. This is what you say, are you ready? You say, according to the word, John chapter three, verse 17. Are you listening to me, enemy? For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but he actually came that it might be saved. And I'm saved. I'm the world that he's talking about. Oh, that's not enough for you? Okay, well, what about Ephesians chapter one, verse seven? For he made him who knew no sin, sin for us. For who? Us. That's us. That's me. Somebody say, that's me. Somebody say, goodbye, guilt, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In who? In him, not in myself, not in my church attendance, not in how much I serve, not in my good, good works, but in who? In him. Okay, you ready for this? Isaiah chapter one, verse 18. Come now, let us reason together. So let's say you got another adversary and it's your own mind. Some of you in this place, you're like, I don't feel like it is demonic. I would agree. Maybe my mom wouldn't, but, but sometimes the warfare is in our own mind. Isaiah chapter one, verse 18 says, come, let us reason together. So you need to start talking to yourself more and tell yourself the right thing to believe. Come on, self, let's reason together. You're going to tell me what I can't do and how I can't do it. Though your, skin, your sins are like scarlet, right? Like red scarlet, like a stain. They shall be white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. And you just continue to say it. First John chapter one, verse nine. It says this, if we confess our sins, he is faithful, say faithful. Come on, say it again, faithful. Someone say, he is faithful. See, when you are faithless, he is still faithful. And you've got, this is how we fight our battles. You begin to wield the sword of the word that's sharper than any two-edged sword and cusses, cusses, 
cuts into the innermost parts of your heart. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse all unrighteousness. Say all. I mean, what part of all are you missing? You think we invented a new way to sin in the last 10 years because of technology? No, it was paid for 2,000 years ago and the price is still paid today. Will you receive it? Somebody say goodbye guilt. About to start winning up in here. Romans chapter eight, verse one. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Where do you have to be? You have to be in Christ Jesus. What, who do not walk, say do not. Come on, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Familiarity has killed more destinies than adversity. Stop being so familiar with yourself that you are telling yourself who you are and not allowing God's voice to have the final word. Let's look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. You can write these scriptures down this week. It says, therefore, if anyone, say anyone, look at your neighbor and say, that's you. Look at the other person and say, that's you too. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation new creation. The old things have what? Have passed away. And behold, all things say all. Come on, get that in your spirit. All, all things have become new. Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, guilt. Oh no, I can't change what I did back there, but, but I, I see something else now. I see a future beckoning me. Oh yeah, goodbye guilt. You know, let me tell you this as we close. Would you stand to your feet with me? You know, something happened to me and this is gonna be a little weird, but just stay with me, okay? Can you hear me? <laughs> Not really. What happened to me was, as I begin to go for what God had for me, and I said, you know what? I'm not gonna be a spectator. I'm not gonna guilt myself. I'm not gonna down myself for being a former alcoholic. I'm not gonna down myself for being physically and emotionally abusive to my wife, Julie. I'm not gonna continue to tell myself that because of sexual sin, because of mental sin, because of everything I've done that I can't go and do all that God destined me to do. Years ago, when he called me to preach at the age of 15 by bringing a woman to me in Hammond, Indiana, that was my hometown who said I had a dream that you preached my church and I had never even opened my mouth to talk to another adult, let, let alone preach to them. And I said, I'm gonna go back to what God originally said. I'm gonna go all the way to my future. But what happened was, what I realized was this. I had this, this mask on, okay? And, and I was walking around thinking that it was guilt. And because what would happen was I would preach, I would lead a song of worship, I rode to life, no longer slaves, everyone going crazy, crowd surfing me to from front to back, people getting healed spontaneously. We come back from Ukraine and people, hundreds of people getting healed in Indiana on a live stream. But see what happened was I was feeling guilt all the time because, and this is, this is something I wanna tell, I don't know who this is for, but what happened was 
I, I kept hearing this voice, this, this, this mass that was telling me, you know what, you screwed up. And the more change I got in my life, the more guilt I felt because then I started becoming so sober in my mind that I'd be like, I, can't, I would get random flashes of stuff I used to do and say, I can't believe that was even me anymore. Anyone ever been there before? I mean, I literally had changed so drastically that I thought if somebody found a record of my cell phone exchanges and printed it, I would be mortified to think I was even that human at some point in time. And I started to feel so guilty. But one day I felt like what happened was as I had that mask of guilt, the Holy Spirit took that mask off and said, that is actually the voice of the accuser with the disguise of guilt on. That is actually the voice of condemnation pretending to be guilt. And so you're here and you, you're saying, well, I feel so guilty, I need to change. No, you feel condemned, you feel beat up. That is a devil wearing a, a mask, a disguise, and I'm here to unveil it for what it really is today so that you can truly get free because you have moved past the point of guilt. See, guilt will tell you, don't eat that much sour cream today at lunch with your Mexican food. That's what guilt will tell you. But condemnation will tell you, even though Jesus died on the cross and you received it, it's not enough for you to do your destiny. That's not guilt, that's condemnation wearing a mask. And I'm here to take the mask off. Can we take that mask off today and say goodbye guilt? I know who I am now, and you're no longer gonna convince me. Why don't you close your eyes, because we gotta get ready for the next service. There's somebody in here, I, you've been struggling with guilt for too long. I don't care if it happened yesterday. I don't care if the sin happened before you got here. I don't even care if the sin happened while I was preaching. The word of God says he is faithful and just to forgive everyone, anyone, anytime this side of the universe. When we confess it, give it to him, repent of it, and receive what he can do and make us righteous. And this is an identity shift that's happening in you right now. With your eyes closed, you've been so comfortable with yourself, so familiar with your own mess that you forgot that you are a chain-breaking, burden-removing, yoke-destroying man or woman of God, that you are the very solution to the problems that you see in this earth because God has destined you to be the hands and the feet of Jesus right here. And everything that you hate so much about New York, can I just tell you it might be a holy hatred from God to change it. Everything you hate about the way people do family and the abuse that you encountered could be God's very solution through your hands to change it. But you've become so familiar with yourself. And I pray right now as your eyes are closed that you get reanimated. You are not a piece of furniture on Long Island. You are not a bone in a valley. You are an army. You are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Come on, man, with your eyes. 
I just got to speak right now according to what the Lord's showing me. There's somebody here that I see scissors, like a huge pair of scissors. And the Lord says, this is not just a ribbon cutting ceremony, which is an indicator of a new beginning and the debuting of a new business, but it is actually a cutting off of an umbilical cord that's been connected to your past, that's been feeding you lies through that umbilical cord, that's been feeding you garbage for years, and he's cutting it off of you right now. If that's for you, receive it. Just say yes to receive it if that's you. There's somebody else in this place that you cannot see yourself physically fit. You cannot see your body changed because you have been so distorted and perverted about who you are that you simply could not see it. And I believe right now under the sound of my voice, you are getting an impartation of the next season of your life and how God sees you and the power to move in the direction of that new you. If that's you, just say yes and receive it. There's somebody here who has received mediocrity. You've told yourself, this is about as far as I will go. Maybe, actually, I'm going to go a step further and say there's somebody who didn't even realize they were saying that until you got an activation while I was saying it right now. And you became acutely aware that that's what you're telling yourself that you've gone about as far as you can go and you've actually even celebrated it a little bit to say, well, at least it's not where I used to be. But can I just tell you that God wants to do exceedingly more than you can think or imagine and he wants to do it and begin it now? If that's for you, just say, I'm willing, God. I'm ready, I'm going all the way. He's dealing with hearts right now. Goodbye, guilt. Goodbye, condemnation. Goodbye. Thank you for listening. Your experience doesn't have to end with this message. Visit us online at v1.church and send us a message. If you would like to help V1 reach New York and beyond, download the V1 Church app for iPhone and Android and click give. Join us this Sunday for our weekend celebration. Directions and info can be found on our website.